So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 this morning. We're in our third week of this series that we have entitled Full Length Mirror, walking through the book of James, moving from good intentions to transformation, that that's what we desire for our lives. I hope that's what you desire for your life. I know God does, is for you to move from good intentions to transformation. And here's why we've entitled this series Full Length Mirror. Let's think of the purpose of a mirror. So if you're new with us, we covered these the last p- couple weeks. Really the purpose of the mirror is threefold, right? It, it shows you who you are. So every one of us, I'm looking out at the crowd this morning, every one of us looks like you looked in the mirror. So just look to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you looked in the mirror. See, every one of us has looked in the mirror this morning. I think all of us, some of us maybe longer than others. But one of the purposes of the mirror is when we look in the mirror, we see who we are. But we also not only see who we are, but we see how we are. We look in the mirror and we see that our hair is out of place. We look in the mirror and see that we need to brush our teeth. We see we need to wash our face. We see that we need this or that is out of place. And so we look in the mirror not to see who we are, but to see how we are. And obviously, the third purpose of the mirror, after we see who we are and how we are, is we, we look in the mirror to say, well, what needs to change? What do I need to do with what I saw? Right? That's the purpose of a mirror. And really, when you think about it, God's word is much the same, is it not? God's word is a mirror. We looked at that last week in James 1, 19 through 27. That God's word is a mirror. And it reveals who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation from your sins, a relationship with a holy God, a, as, as the means to acquire a an eternity with God forever in heaven, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you came to that beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you looked into God's word. God's word was shared with you to show you who you are with Christ and apart from Christ. You may be here this morning and someone invited you or, or you saw us on a website or whatever other reason that you came in the doors this morning and if you were honest with yourself, you would say, well, I haven't placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I think that I'm, if I'm living a good enough life that hopefully God will accept me and when I pass from this life to the next, I will be with him forever in heaven. And so for you, when we look into the mirror of God's word, you will see that, you know what, we can't be good enough. And so... God's mirror reveals who we are. But God's mirror also reveals, as I open it up and I look into it, it also reveals how I am. Like what's going on in my life? Like I'm seeing that I'm off here or I'm off there. I can be encouraged here. I can be encouraged there. I see growth here. I see growth there. No, I see an area in my life that I still haven't surrendered to him. So God's word is a mirror that shows us who we are, how we are, and then it shows us what needs to change. See, probably all of us have one of these full-length mirrors in our house. Because we not just want to see parts of us, but we want to see 
What do I look like from top to bottom? Some of us embrace that more than others, but nonetheless, that's why that mirror is in our house. And God's word is that mirror. And so as we look at the book of James and we open up the pages of this book that the Holy Spirit has given through the writer James, James is so direct in the application of what God desires us to do in so many places in our life that are critical in us living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see one another, one of, another one of those in James chapter 2. So I want to encourage you to look. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 to start off. So hopefully you're there in verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, My brothers... So James is writing to believers. So we could say, My brothers or sisters... In Christ, show no partiality. We're going to define that word in a second. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay no attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. So here's what you need to understand that was going on in the day, and it's pretty self-explanatory when you look in this passage of Scripture. But what was happening was, is when, is when believers were gathering together to worship, what was happening was, is preferential treatment was, be, was being given to the rich over the poor. And the way that they were knowing who was the rich over the poor, by, by, is what, by what they were wearing, by the things that they had on their hands and the earrings that they had and all different types of things that when individuals saw that, they were giving preferential treatment to where those people would sit when they gathered to worship. And what this text doesn't say, but when you look at the culture and times that James is being written, the prominent seats in the gatherings where they worshiped were right in the front. Now, I know for some of you, the prominent seat for you oftentimes is the back, but that's another message for another day. But that was the prominent area, and so when people would, people would come in and, and, and they would say, oh, please, you sit here. Look at the way that person looks. Look at what they're wearing. Look at the gold on their hands, and so they were giving preferential treatment, and when the poor person would come in, obviously indicating by what they would wear, they literally would say they didn't care that they stood in a corner, or they would literally say, here, sit at someone's feet, which literally gave the idea of them being under someone greater than their subjection. And that's what was going on. And so James in chapter 2 says to these individuals, my brothers, my sisters, followers of Jesus Christ, show no partiality because you are holding to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 4. He says, have you not then, because you're acting this way, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's interesting that James says thoughts. Because James is clearly describing actions. But he doesn't go to the actions, though he mentions them and highlights them, but he talks about the motivation behind the actions. The thoughts that are leading to the actions and how this type of thinking of showing partiality and showing favoritism is contrary to the faith 
that these people believe in. So here's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes. It's this, Playing Favorites. And here's what I want you to understand as we walk through this passage of Scripture from verse 1 all the way to verse 13. It's this idea that God's expectation in all situations is that we love others without discrimination. That that's God's expectation for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that in all situations, you love others without discrimination. That that's God's expectation of me. Now remember, we said we were going to define the word partiality. Here's what partiality means. Some of your translations may say favoritism. Here's what that word means. It literally has the idea of receiving someone according to their face. Just think about everything that's wrapped up in that word. And here's what I really believe leads to favoritism. Listen to this. Favoritism, discrimination, prejudice, bias, whatever you want to call it, is the result of you and me failing to see ourselves as an undeserving recipient and ambassador of God's love. That when I fail to see myself That when I fail to look into the mirror of God's word and to see myself for who I am, that I am an undeserving recipient of God's grace and praise God that God loved me when I was undeserving. But when I fail to look into the mirror and see myself as an undeserving recipient of God's love, but not just that, but also, therefore, an ambassador of God's love that God has called me to share that with others, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. God making his appeal through me. That when I fail to understand those two things, the result will lead to favoritism, discrimination, prejudice in my life. I mean, that's what James says. Show no partiality as you hold to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And I think favoritism and discrimination and prejudice is so subtle, is it not? It's so subtle. Especially for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a a simple illustration. Because I'm sure everyone in this room would say that we would agree that favoritism, discrimination is wrong. But just think about our conversations, right? Think about the last time you were describing to someone, maybe a new person that you met, and don't we oftentimes do this? Hey, you know, I was, I was talking the other day, and I met this Korean guy, and we were talking. Or I was talking the other day to this Hispanic guy. Like, I don't know if many of you know this, but I'm literally half Puerto Rican. Do you guys know that? I know I look nothing like it, but I actually am. And, or we say to ourselves, hey, I was talking to this white guy, or I was talking to this black guy, and I thought, I mean, when you stop and think of yourself, you're like, why am I describing their race or the color of their skin when I'm telling someone who I met, right? But it's so subtle. Think about this. How many of you grew up in Sunday school? Just raise your hand. Can I see? How many of you, how many of you grew up with Sunday school? Okay, the majority of the crowd, the same was at the 9 a.m., I also grew up in Sunday school because I went to a good Baptist church, and good Baptist churches have to have Sunday school, right? And so I grew up in Sunday school. And you know, remember when you were taught all those different songs? And do you even remember this? Remember, like, flannel graph? 
Like if you're under 30 years old, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that was like singing songs and flannel graph were two key methodologies in Sunday school. And here's one of the songs that I learned in Sunday school. Maybe you have. If you know it, I'm not going to ask you to sing it. But say it with me. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Now here is a perfect example of amazing intentions. But horrible follow through. Because I, I honestly remember this as a little kid learning this song. I was like, I've never met a red person. And I've never met a yellow person. And I've really never met a black person. And I'm not really white. And that's why I say, like, we so easily want to jump to the conclusion when we talk about favoritism or discrimination. And we're going to look at this passage of Scripture this morning as we dive into verses 5 through 13. But I want to challenge you this morning that rather than dismiss that this is just isn't a problem for me, let's just ask ourselves, man, as we look into the mirror of God's Word this morning, let me ask myself, Man, God, would you reveal the subtleties? God, would you reveal the blind spots in my life and how I may be treating brothers or sisters or those that I rub shoulders with that I may not even be aware of at first blush? Because what I want to do this morning is just give you three ways in verses 5 through 13 on how God's word in this passage of Scripture shows us how we love others without discrimination. So look. At verse 5, James says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Like you haven't done that. You haven't represented God's love to you and how you're conducting yourself when you gather together. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you? Are The ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? In other words, what he's saying is is he's not saying that they shouldn't desire those who are rich and maybe don't even know Jesus Christ to gather together with them. But what he's saying is, is why are you showing preferential treatment to the very people that are pulling you down? It ought not be so. And here's the first way that I see That we love others without discrimination. Number one, we love others according to God's model. God's model. And here's God's model. It's to love without prejudice. And here's why I say that. Look at that phrase again. It's there in these verses. It says, has God not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom. Here's what James is saying. He's reminding them of God's love toward every man, woman, and child. What he's saying here is no one is discriminated from receiving God's love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That God's model is to love without prejudice, without discrimination, without favoritism. That that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved what? The world. 
Now let me make a caveat statement. What we're not saying here is when we say that God's expectation in all situations is that we love others without discrimination, that's not saying that we tolerate or condone sinful behavior. Because our society would take the statement that we shared and say, well, that's saying that we don't need to judge anybody and we don't need to, we don't need to call out sin and if one person lives this lifestyle over this lifestyle, hey, it's all good. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking not about discriminating or calling out, is a better way to say it, calling out to sin. We're talking about discriminating against people because we're all sinners. We all need Jesus Christ. So let me just be clear on that. But if we're called to love others with God's model, then we need to understand that God's love is about giving, not getting. That when I look at how God loved me and loves me, and I look at how God loves you, it's all about giving. It's not about getting. And I think one of the main motivations of us showing favoritism toward others, whether that be race, whether that be social economic class, whether that be background, whether that be shared experiences, whatever it is, one of the main motivations in that is that I am loving this person or showing favoritism to this person or discriminating against this person based on what I can get from this person. Because that's the root of what James is suggesting here, the rich being valued over the poor, is because those individuals that were giving them primary seats and preferential treatment, they were doing that because they thought they could get something from those rich people. And because they thought they could get something from them that they couldn't get with the poor, they were showing favoritism to the rich and discounting the poor. But that's not God's love. God's love is about giving, not getting. God didn't get anything from me. There was nothing in and of myself that God would say, man, look at Johnny Pereira, what potential he has. Look at all the things he can offer me. My goodness, that's not true. And that's not true of you. Romans 5, 8 says what? God demonstrated his love for me in this, that in the what? Midst of my sin, Jesus died for me. And what leads me to show favoritism is when I start thinking, oh, if I'm friends with this person, I'll get this. And if I'm not going to get something from this person, then I'm going to discriminate against that person, have no time for that person. Because our hearts are naturally selfish. But when we remind ourselves, wait a minute, I've been called by God, the expectation In all situations, is to love without discrimination. And the way that I do that is I love others according to God's model. God's love is about giving, not getting. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know what's so awesome about the gospel this morning? Is that when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I say, God, there's nothing good that I can do to warrant your favor. There's nothing good that I can do to warrant your forgiveness. 
but I place my faith and trust in what Jesus, you have done for me through your perfect life, your perfect death, and your perfect resurrection, that when I do that, Christ changes my standing before God. That now I'm a child of God. Now I have a new identity. Now I have a new hope. Now I have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, who equips me to do the work that he's called me to do. Man, I have a new standing before God, but listen to me. With that new standing comes also the growth to also have not just new standing, but also new standards for how I view other people. Because the same love that I received from God that was a giving love, not a getting love, there's an expectation for me to show that same love rather than contradict it by the way that I love others. Here's the second thing. Look at verses 8 through 11. Let's continue on. It says, James says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, in other words, God's word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is nothing new. This is mentioned in the Old Testament. Jesus refers back to this in the Gospels in the New Testament. But he says, hey, if you really fulfill, if you're really being obedient to what God's word says, this is how you love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, if you do this, you're what? You're doing, what does it say? What does it say? Well. You're doing well. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Now it's interesting, why in the world... When he's talking about not showing partiality, does he mention two commandments like thou do not commit adultery and do not murder? Like we would look at those things. I don't believe, I've never met anybody who's even not a follower of Jesus Christ that would argue that murdering someone and committing adultery, no one would argue with me when I say those are two sins. But what James is doing, he's saying just like if someone says that, hey, I'm going to I'm obedient to what God's word says, and I haven't murdered, but I've committed adultery, or vice versa. Just like it would be ridiculous for them to justify themselves that way, it's as ridiculous for us to justify ourselves and to say, well, I'm being obedient to every God, everything God's word says, but I do show partiality, discrimination, favoritism. That's James' point, which leads us to the second thing. How do I love others without discrimination? Number two, I love others according to God's measurement. God's measurement. Some of you, you know, you're still, been here a little over a year, you're still learning some things about me. Here's another thing about me. I'm not a handyman. Not in the least. Lori would give a hearty amen to that. Yeah, see? (laughs) Not a handyman. And now I have progressed in some of my skills. But when we first got married and we were in seminary housing and we had that little seminary house and we had these pictures that we wanted to hang and I remember like doing my manly things and my dad had bought me at least some basic tools and I had a hammer and I had some nails and I would go up and this is how I would hang the picture. I would just go by my eye. Like I was pretty confident that I 
had a pretty good eye to what was level. And so I would take the picture and, 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 look, and look at it, or, or better yet, have Lori take the picture, and I'd stand back and I'd look at that picture. And then when I thought it was level, I would go and I would mark it above it with some nails, like some nail marks, and then I would, and then I would nail in, and then I would hang it, and then I'd step back, and we'd have a dialogue for about 10 minutes on whether or not that was straight or not. Lori would be like, that's not straight. And I'd be like, you're, you're crazy. That is perfectly straight. And then eventually I would submit to her realization that it was not straight. You know what I'd do? I'd do that about three or four times. And we had this joke around our house. You know the phrase, measure twice, nail once? Well, that mine was the reverse. Nail twice, measure once. And so all of a sudden, this is nothing, no new tool. Many of you know it. Maybe, maybe even some of you utilize it. I came across this laser level. And this totally changed the way that I hung pictures. See, now all of a sudden I got a little smarter and I measured and I measured where the hooks were on the back and then I made sure that it was level and I looked at the level and just in case I was off and couldn't see where the bubble was, I'd look and you had a laser level and then it had two little things that you press down here and it puts it in the wall. And you know what I found? Is when I went by this, it was straight. It was true. But when I went by my eye, most oftentimes, it was off. And I think that's many times the way that we view this subject. See, what we do is we look at when we say, man, am I, do I show favoritism? Do I show discrimination? Do, do I show prejudice in any way? And what we do is we, we justify ourselves and we look at someone who's wor- who does that worse than us and we say, well, man, for sure I'm not like that guy or that woman, so therefore I don't struggle with it. Or we look and we, we determine that by the people that we hang around. Well, do you, think I, do you think I show favoritism? No, you don't show favoritism. Do I? No, you don't. And we, and we do that, right? And what we're doing is, is what are we doing? We're doing just like I did when I hung the pictures. I'm going off of my eye rather than looking into the mirror of God's word and asking the question, God, where in my life Let me look into the pages of your word. Let me look here in James chapter 2 and ask myself, am I loving others without discrimination? Like I'm not going to look at someone worse off than me or doing something worse than me. I'm not going to ask others. I can always find others that agree with me. No, no, no. I'm going according to God's measurement. What's God's measurement? We see it there in these verses. It's found in verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the measurement. And he says if you're doing this, you're doing what? You're doing well. You're living a true life according to God's word. And the conclusion then, that if that's the measurement, that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves, then here's the conclusion according to the measurement of this loving that God gives. Here's the conclusion, that if I'm not loving others as God loves me, And as I would want to be loved by others, then I am not loving well, but my love is discriminatory. That's the conclusion. And the proof, the proof 
that I'm loving according to God's measurement is not, you've heard me say this last week, you've heard me say this a few weeks ago, the proof that I am loving without discrimination is not that I know more about God's love. Knowing God's love is important. Don't hear me not say that. It's important. It's important that we grow in our knowledge. But the proof of me loving without discrimination is not that I know more about God's love, but it, it boils down to how am I actually loving others? Because what did we say? Knowing does not automatically equal growing. Knowing plus obeying equals growing. John 13, 35 says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you know more about loving one another. You've got that in your translation. Just take it and chuck it out. Because we know what the verse says, right? By this you'll know my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen to 1 John 4.20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Notice it doesn't say if anyone says I know about God's love. It says no, no, no. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know what John is saying here? Faith and favoritism are not compatible. So if God's expectation for us is to love others according to God's measurement, loving our neighbor as ourselves, then I think we need to ask ourselves, what are some indicators that I'm loving others in a discriminatory way. And let me just give you three of them real quick. Here's the first one. My love is motivated by what I can receive. We already mentioned that. What I can receive materially, what I can receive emotionally. Like, well, I'm loving that person because it's just motivated out of guilt. Well, if that's all the reason is that you're loving that person, then that's really based on what, if you can, what you can get rather than what you can give. So materially or emotionally, am I loving others based out of what I can receive? Here's the second thing. My love is extended only to those who are like me. Like, just think about your circles. Well, I only hang out with the people who have the same socioeconomic class as me. Or I only hang out with the same people who have my background. Or I only hang out with the same people who are the color of my skin. Or I only hang out with the same people who have share my experiences. Whatever it is. An indicator that we are loving others in a discriminatory way is that my love is extended to only those who are like me. Here's a funny illustration. So, uh, I already mentioned that I'm half Puerto Rican, so my dad is full-blooded Puerto Rican, okay? And my dad and his two older brothers did not marry Hispanic women, okay? And so I remember always, uh, when I would come home from college, I would get my hair cut. When I had hair, I would get it cut at my grandfather, because he was a barber for many, many, many years in Brooklyn, New York, and... And uh, when he was retired in Florida, we, and we lived only 
literally 30 minutes away. So I get my hair cut by my grandfather because it's just a great way for me to catch up with him. And I loved that every time I would sit down with my grandfather and he'd be cutting my hair, he'd always ask me the same question. He'd ask me this question. So, in his Spanish accent, which I'm not going to do, but he would, he would say, are there any Spanish girls at your college as he's cutting my hair? And I knew why he was asking. And he's like, because he was wondering if I was dating any. Because I really believe in his heart of heart, that Puerto Rican heart, he so desired that one of his offspring would marry a Hispanic girl. And so, my junior year of college, I met my beautiful bride, Lori, and she came home that summer to meet my family. And at the time, now my grandfather and grandmother with the Lord in my grandfather's eyes, his his. Some of his discriminatory eyes have been totally removed now, and he's seeing things the way that God desires. But nonetheless, when I, was, when I introduced Lori to my grandparents, taking them into the house, you should have seen his face. Because if you've met my wife, she looks way more Hispanic than I do. So when he met her, he was over the moon. Because he thought to myself, finally, a Pereira has married a Hispanic Woman, and the race is preserved. And so I remember going to the bathroom or doing something and leaving Lori alone with my grandfather, and he just started speaking Spanish to her, rattling off. And I remember coming back and seeing Lori's face, and Lori saying, never leave me alone with him again. Why do I share that story? Because it's just a simple illustration how, how often and how subtle we are on the subject of discrimination and favoritism and prejudice. And so we got to ask ourselves, man, is my love extended only to those who are like me? Here's the third thing. My love is limited to those who haven't hurt me. If that's the extent of my love, then I'm loving in a discriminatory way. Then I'm only going to extend God's love to the people who haven't hurt me yet. And whatever way that hurt is described. See, James is calling us. The Holy Spirit through James is calling us to love others according to God's measurement, not ours. And here's the third thing, and we'll be done. It's found in verses 12 and 13. Look at what it says. James says this, so speak. So he lays it out. He says, let's let's call a spade a spade. The discrimination, favoritism, prejudice, partiality, whatever we want to call it, is sin. Let's call a spade a spade. And then he says, so, based on that reality, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. What he's saying here is, listen, you've experienced the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. God doesn't judge you by the good or the bad that you have done. He sees you through the forgiveness that has been provided through Jesus' perfect life and death death and resurrection. You have been set free. So speak and act in that same way to others. Look at what he says in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's the third way we love others without discrimination. We love others according to God's mercy. 
God's mercy. See, we're going to embrace the responsibility and the privileges as followers of Jesus Christ to love in a way that does not put people in figurative chains, but rather we love in such a way that testifies to the one thing that can set men and women's hearts free, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to love in such a way that contradicts the very message of the gospel that can save a person's soul. I'm going to love others according to God's mercy because I understand that I've received God's mercy. I've received what I don't deserve. So what right do I have to not extend that same mercy to every man, woman, and child? See, that's James' point. You know what's a great parable that Jesus gives that testifies to this very thing and to this very struggle? I think of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Do you remember that parable? And that lawyer is there with Jesus. And that lawyer there is really asking a question to really justify himself. He's really not interested in the answer that Jesus gives. But he, Jesus, he just simply says, hey, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the first and second greatest commandment that he already knows. Love the Lord your God with your heart. Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? Because I do that, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus walks through that parable. Do you remember it? That this person's on the side of the road and he's next to death. And Jesus gives these different people that walk by this man and pass by. Remember, he says, there's a priest who sees this man, but he passes by. And then he says, there's a Levite who sees this man and he passes by. And did you ever ask yourself, why in the world does Jesus mention a priest and a Levi? Because those are two individuals that this lawyer would have had no problem hanging out with. These were two people that were just like him. But do you remember what Jesus says? Then he says, but then there was this Samaritan. And what you need to understand is back in this time that Jesus is giving this parable, Samaritans were literally called dogs by Jews. They were looked at as half-breeds. And so a Jew would never hang out with the Samaritan. But it's interesting that Jesus gives the Samaritan as an example and says the Samaritan passed by and the Samaritan stopped and ministered to that man and put balm on his wounds and put him in lodging and paid to, gave two days of his wages so that that man could be taken care of. And Jesus asks that lawyer, which one showed mercy? And the lawyer responds, the one who did and took care of the person that was hurt. And Jesus says, you're right, go and do likewise. See, what's interesting is that lawyer came to Jesus wanting to justify himself that he was all good. And Jesus exposed this man's problem. Another great example of the subtleties of discrimination and really how they've rippled to where we even are right now is, you know, in the early 19th and 20th century, in 1837, 
here in the United States, you had the Baptist and the Presbyterian specifically who were running into a problem in the early United States of America in the early church in Baptist and Presbyterian circles. See, they had people in their church that were slaveholders. And what the discussions were is, how are we going to handle this? And so they arrived at a decision that they weren't going to address that issue in the church. And the reason that they gave is, well, that is, that is social things. That's politics. And we're not going to bring politics into the church. But by arriving at that decision, what they were doing was, is they were discounting the second greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave. And it's interesting that this was what was going on in the United States of America. But in London and in Scotland, in the church, Charles Spurgeon wouldn't even hang out with someone who thought that way. This was United States of America. And I don't know, I hope this isn't true of you, but I'm not going to discount it. That some of you may have been sitting in this room, you're like, man, this message is super uncomfortable. And you want to know the reason why? because that thought has taught you well. And it's sad to say that oftentimes in most churches that the most segregated time of the week is in churches all over this country. And God has clearly shown us in his word. You can't argue with his word. You can argue with my word, but you can't argue with what the mirror reveals. that we would look at our lives and say, God, where is it in my life that I'm not living up to the expectation in all situations to love others without discrimination? God, where am I loving others in a way that's contradictory to your model? Because your love is about giving, not getting. God, where in my life am I loving others according to my measurement rather than your measurement? Because the measurement is to love my neighbor to love those that I rub shoulders with as myself. And God, where am I not loving others according to the mercy that you have entrusted to me? And I just want us in this time, as before we sing this next song, as the band comes out, let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's just ask the Lord, Lord, let me evaluate. Let me look into the mirror. We've looked into the mirror this morning. We've looked into God's word this morning. God, would you show me what I need to repent of. Lord, is there discrimination in my life, favoritism in my life, prejudice in my life to someone because of what I think I can get from them because of I only love others that are like me or because I'm only gonna love those who haven't hurt me. I don't know, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, I promise you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is showing that to you right now and man let's look into the mirror and say God what needs to change God I'm going to confess it I'm going to repent of it and God I want to love others the way that you love me you may be here today you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today can be the day of your salvation you can call out to God in the quietness of your seat right now and say Lord I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and Savior I've been trying to live this life on my own hoping that the good outweighs the bad and today I realize that God loved me in spite of who I am not because of who I am and you can call out to God and say Lord I believe that you are my Savior and you can walk out of these doors a follower of Jesus but let's just let's just do business with God We're going to sing this song, Your Mercy.
because nothing else motivates us to love others the right way than God's mercy. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment.